0: Hello and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life.
1: Father God, we thank you for this wonderful time to gather to sing wonderful songs of praise that exalt you and honor you, to pray, to lift our hearts before you, to uh, recognize two faithful servants of our congregation, uh, to um, fellowship and interact with other of your people today. And now, Lord, as we, as we turn our attention to your word and what it may have to say to us, we pray that you'd give us open hearts. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would be willing to use me, this sinful, broken creature like everybody else here, to to accurately and encouragingly uh, uh, give a a, a message that will encourage your people uh, this morning. So uh, take and use this time, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. How many of you remember Earl Weaver? Okay, some of you baseball fans remember Earl. Former manager of the Baltimore Orioles um, baseball team. He had a rule. He had a lot of rules, but one rule was that no one on his team could steal a base unless he was given the steal sign to do so. Well, this rule upset one of his star players, Reggie Jackson. Um, Reggie felt like he already knew which pitchers or catchers that he could steal a base on or not. So in one game, he decided to steal a base without getting a sign from one of the coaches to do so. Got a good jump on the pitcher, easily beat the the throw to second base, and as he shook the dirt off of his uniform, uh, Jackson smiled with delight He felt like his own judgment had been vindicated over that of his manager, Earl Weaver. Well, sometime later, um, Earl took Reggie aside and he explained why he had not given Reggie Jackson the steal sign in that situation. First, the next batter for the Orioles was Lee May, who was the best power hitter on the team other than Jackson. So when Jackson stole second base, it now left first base open. So the other team walked Lee May intentionally and took his potent, powerful bat out of his hands. Second, the batter after Lee May had not had much success against that opposing pitcher. So Earl felt like he had to send in a pinch hitter now to try and drive in Jackson and May and score some runs. And that meant that the Orioles lacked some bent strength later in the game if they needed it. So what's, what's the point of that story other than baseball strategy? <laughs> Reggie Jackson saw only his relationship to the pitcher and the catcher. Earl Weaver was watching the entire game and making decisions on the big picture. And folks, you and I can only ever see so far in life, but God always sees the big picture, the total picture, the complete picture. And when he sends us a signal... It's wise to to obey him no matter what we think we may know. So this morning, I'm concluding a series of messages on knowing God's will. I've called the series Knowing God's Will. Is it like GPS or a compass? And um, all of us would, would prefer God's will to be like a global positioning system. Yes, very precise, very detailed. Crystal clear? I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if every decision in life, every crossroads, every need for direction and guidance prompted God to give us some really specific instructions? Do this, then do that, and afterwards wait exactly this long and then do the following. Wouldn't that be great? And perhaps, though, the reason that God doesn't reveal His will. Uh, to us in GPS format is simply because it would, we'd be less likely to walk by faith. Um, instead, what God does is His will is more like, it's more like a compass. He, he provides the direction that we should live and walk in, but it still requires us to stick very close to Him at all times. We still depend on Him for daily guidance. We we still have to walk by faith. So this morning, I want us to read and think about some verses in Romans 8, which, by the way, is my favorite chapter in the Bible is Romans 8, um, as we close out this series of messages. And I'm talking about verses 28 through 32. So if you would, uh, I encourage you to put your eyeballs on God's Word and follow along as I read Romans 8, 28 through 32, okay? So, um, if you found it on your, your actual Bible or your phone or whatever you've got with you, uh, here's what God's Word has to say to us today. Romans 8, beginning at verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose." For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So the Christian leader Paul was a man who thought long and hard about God and his will. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote the words that we we just read there. And there are God's words spoken into your life, into my life. And and, and there's a lot of big truths there. I want to talk to you about three big truths that I see as it pertains to God's will. Here's the first one. The will of God restores you and me. The will of God restores you and me. You know, the entire message of the Bible is all about how God is restoring the broken relationship between human beings and and himself. Right there in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, we read how God had this perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. And uh, they'd been created in his image, but they concluded that they knew better than God, and, 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 and so they sinned. And sin destroyed the beauty of that first relationship between human beings and God. Thousands of years later, however, God sent himself in the person of Jesus to die on a cross and be raised again, and that act of sacrificial love, that opened up the possibility for any and every human being to enter into this new and living relationship with God. And at the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and for mine that made it possible to enter into and enjoy a new relationship with God as our Father whenever we put our faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Now, in the verses that we read this morning, particularly 28, 29, 30, Paul made it clear that it was God's will to restore this relationship. Who was the one that took the initiative to restore the relationship? God, right? It was God that did it. God put the plan into motion. And before you were even born, God had made a decision to love you and make you an object of his wonderful grace so you could enter into an eternal relationship with him. And that's essentially what that word predestined or predestination means in verse 30. Before your birth, God picked you to belong to him forever. Maybe maybe you've never gotten picked by anybody to do anything. Well, God picked you to belong to Him forever. There There came that moment in time when He called you to Himself. You began to think about God, you began to seek Him, and then when you ultimately put your faith in Jesus and what He did, God justified you. In other words, He declared you not guilty, accepted you as His child. And then, and then God will glorify you fully one day in heaven. Well, what does that mean? Well, to be glorified means to be made perfect, mature, complete in every spiritual way. So when when you stop to think about the wonder, the grandeur, the, the sheer magnitude of God's love for you and for me, boy, it ought to just fill your heart and mind with tremendous joy. God desired to have a relationship with you and with me. And although that relationship had been broken by our sin, God is the one that made it possible to restore that relationship with us. Well, in verse 28, we learn that God or restored or saved you and me for a purpose. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his Son. So God's great purpose in calling you and pursuing you and restoring this relationship with with you is so that you could become like Jesus. You see, more than anything else, it's God's will yesterday and today and uh, tomorrow that you resemble his son. You know, I, I like the story of a sculptor who was asked how he had learned to carve this majestic, beautiful lion's head out of just a a block of marble, and he said, well, I just chip away at everything that doesn't look like a lion's head. I just chip away at everything that doesn't look like a lion's head. You know what God does? God chips away constantly at everything in you and me that doesn't look like Jesus, doesn't point to Jesus. The pride, the lack of love for others, the ungodly priorities, the love of money, and the false security that it creates, the ungodly desires that we have. He's constantly shaping and molding and sculpting you and me. And and here's the thing, folks. God is absolutely committed to that task, and he's relentless. He, He never gives up when we rebel or we start to pout or we get upset with him because that sculpting can be painful at times. God never gives up, he, he, he never gives in, he never gets discouraged, and you know what else? He never compromises either, does he? Stays at it. Now here's an interesting truth that we've we got to remember. God has this infinite number of methods when it comes to achieving his will for human beings. But he has only one goal for every child of God. He wants you and me and all of his spiritual sons and daughters to look like Jesus in terms of our inner character and also our outer approach to to life and living. Now, how you, you and I get to that goal is different. I mean, there are different families, different decisions, different spiritual experiences, different joys, different sorrows, different successes, different failures, and God works all of that different stuff together in all of those different people who are all living different lives. But he has only one purpose, one goal, one destination for each and every one of his children. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Christ-like. And when we're thinking about God's will, here's what we need to remember the big picture. The will of God is about restoring you and me back into a relationship with God. The will of God has restored you, is restoring you, and will restore you fully and finally one day. Here's the second truth. The will of God releases me. Now, this is maybe, we're kind of talk through this truth. The will of God releases me. Someone has said, to find the will of God is the great discovery. To do the will of God is the magnificent achievement. Sounds good. Grand statement, lofty statement. But that statement doesn't really tell you and me about how to find God's will, does it? For those those everyday situations and circumstances and decisions that come our way in life. How can you and I be sure that we are doing God's will? How can we be sure? Well, many of you are going to say, well, Rick, there's the Bible. It tells us a great deal about the will of God. Couldn't agree more. See, there are, in fact, many situations in life where the Bible tells us what is and is not God's will. For example, it's always God's will to love and honor your parents. It's always God's will to provide for your family financially. It's always God's will for you to treat your spouse and children uh, with love and respect. It's always God's will to share your faith with lost people. It's always God's will to help people who are in need in ways that are truly helpful. It's always God's will to worship and serve Him faithfully and to do it regularly with others in community as we follow Jesus together. It's always God's will to discover how God has gifted you spiritually and then find ways to to help build His kingdom. By the same token... It's never God's will to lie, to steal, to cheat someone. It's never His will to hate, to resent, to hold a grudge against others. It's never God's will to have sex outside of marriage. It's never God's will to marry someone who doesn't share your faith in Jesus. It's never God's will to envy or covet what other people have in life. So, in in many situations and decisions in our lives, You don't have to go out and seek God's will. He's already expressed his will clearly in his word. No, in, in fact, you see, the real issue many times for any and for all of us is not whether we know God's will, but instead whether we will do God's will. The issue is really more about obedience than it is knowledge. But nevertheless... The Bible does not speak to every conceivable situation, decision, or extenuating circumstance that we might face in life. It won't tell you to marry Bob, won't tell you to marry Alice, won't tell you to become a teacher or a nurse, won't tell you what kind of house you should buy, may not give you specific ways to relate to that overbearing boss, that grouchy relative, that troublesome neighbor. Instead of giving us explicit instructions for every conceivable situation that we might ever face in life, you know what the Bible does? The Bible provides us principles and values that can be applied broadly to your life and mine by faith. And then, you know, God did give you a brain. God gave us intelligence, and he wants us to use that. So God then gives you and me the responsibility to interpret those biblical principles and values and apply them correctly to the specific circumstances that we might be facing. Well, okay, is God's will always clearly and easily discerned? No, it's not. I admit that. And you see, that's when discerning God's will can leave us kind of frustrated. Uh, We're left with uncertainty, which causes anxiety to well up within us because, you know, we're afraid of missing out on God's will. And this is when we really want God's will to be like GPS. Do this right now, do that next. We want these explicit instructions as to what, when, where, how. And instead, God just hands us a compass. And it's as if God says... Okay, I'm not going to give you explicit instructions. Stay close to me. Trust me. Obey me. Follow me. But Rick, I don't want to miss out on God's perfect will for my life. You ever heard somebody make that statement, God's perfect will for my life? I kind of wonder, is there such a thing as God's perfect will? Um. I don't know. I guess the way I think about it, each, us, each of us and all of us have already missed out on God's perfect will um, for our lives. I mean, each of us are sinners, right? And uh, even if you only committed one sin your whole life long, you just missed out on God's perfect will for your life. Uh, n- no act of sin can ever or ever will be God's perfect will for you. So, in that sense, all of us have already missed out on God's perfect will. Okay? But since God wants you to do His will more than you want to do it, He will never fail to point you back in the right direction if you're sincerely pursuing and seeking His will. And, folks, that can be a pretty big if. As I said earlier, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we want to do God's will, but in reality, we're far more interested in doing what our own will says. And having God either overlook it or bless it. I just happened to think of something Mark Twain, the great author, said. He said, He said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. Yeah, that's right. Let let's come at this issue of discerning God's will for specific decisions and situations from another perspective. Let's assume that you sincerely want both to know and to do God's will. If it's a choice between something good or bad, something right or wrong, or something wise or foolish, discerning God's will, that's not difficult. But, you know, sometimes life will present us with choices between two or more good things. Well, what should we do then? Well, I believe that God grants us great freedom when faced with those kinds of decisions, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I believe that most of us have a tendency to make God's will far narrower and more restricted than it is in reality. We, we think God's will is just one thing and one thing only, and it's our job to figure it out like some kind of giant mystery novel in which we become spiritual detectives looking for clues. A... a A perceptive Christian made this observation. I like this. A Christian is the only person I know who can choose any one of four different directions and have it be right. Huh. A Christian is the only person I know who can choose any one of four different directions and have it be right. A couple of examples of that truth. Here's, here's Here's a biblical one. You know, it's easy to get mixed up when it comes to the story of the Garden of Eden in Genesis. God never said to Adam and Eve, hmm, great garden, huh? By the way, you can only eat the fruit of one tree in this garden. Every other tree is off limits to you, and you have to guess the right tree with the right fruit. And if you mess up and you get it wrong, tough luck. That is not what God said to Adam and Eve. Instead, he told them that they could eat the fruit from any tree in his garden except one. And he specifically identified the tree that they needed to avoid. So God revealed his will very clearly to them. It was as if he said, look, Adam and Eve, my garden is full of trees with many kinds of delicious fruit for you to enjoy. Go on in, have a ball. Eat from any tree in my garden that you want, but leave the fruit from this one specific tree alone. Don't touch it, leave it alone. And so God's will for Adam and Eve was this amazingly generous and broad will. And and we so often assume that God's will is, is just one thing when it could be many things and god grants us his children an incredible amount of freedom to make many good decisions and choices there's just one thing that he wants us to avoid anything that violates his principles and his will anything that we know will not and cannot please him stay away from that everything else it's open to you here's a second example and it comes from my own life it's personal Um, In my final year of seminary, 42 years ago now, wow, um, I was was grappling with God's will for my life. At the time, I was was pastoring a small uh, country church on a part-time basis while I was working to finish up my degree. And the church wanted me to stay on after my graduation and become um, their full-time pastor. And uh, they were trying to figure out a financial package that they could afford and I could live on. And I didn't, I didn't honestly know whether to accept their offer or not. I prayed, pursued God's direction. I sought out the advice of godly people. What should I do? You know what? God never did tell me. <laughs> God never did say, leave or stay. And I finally realized that God was leaving the decision to me. And ultimately, I declined their their gracious offer and went to another church and and another ministry. So was was it God's will to move to another church? Yes. But here's what I came to understand through that experience. If I had decided to stay at that country church it would have been God's will as well. God's will was big enough to bless either decision. Now, did I want a GPS version of God's will at that time? Oh, you betcha. Instead, God just gave me a compass and the freedom to make a responsible decision. I like what uh, this person said. God does not coerce me, manipulate me, or violate my will. He does not play from a stacked deck. He respects the powers which he has created in me. As one who loves him and is called according to his purpose, I am free to choose, and God elects my choice to be right. So the will of God restores me. The will of God has the power to release me. It's not about being constricted, folks. It's about having an immense freedom, okay? And then part and parcel of getting the big picture when it comes to God's will is to know that the will of God also redeems me. That's the third big truth I take away from these verses. The will of God redeems me. Well, you may be thinking about now, yeah, but Rick, what about, what about all the wrong choices that we make in life? What about the sins we commit? What, what about those things that happen? But, but also, Rick, what, what about those things that happen to us through no fault of our own? We didn't do something sinful or foolish. We didn't deserve or earn what happened to us. Tough things, hurtful things, life-changing things, and not in a good way. I mean, how do all those kinds of experiences fit into God's will? You know, we love verse 28 in Romans 28 for good reason. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You believe that? Everything? Everything? Really? Hmm. That verse is often applied to the very difficult things in life that we have no control over or we didn't bring on ourselves. Abuse. Illness. Accidents. Major disappointments in life. Even even death. Okay, so... Put that over here. Can that verse also be applied to the stuff that we do bring on ourselves? You know, the consequences of our own sins, our own failures, our own wrong choices, our own stupid mistakes? Yes. Yes. You see, God alone has the ability to take even the consequences of my sins and the stupid stuff that I've done in life and redeem it. But there is an if attached, only if there is sincere repentance and a willingness to get our inner spiritual compass repaired and pointed back again in the right direction, his direction again. Because you see, no, God is not going to bless, he's not going to redeem sinful choices or decisions that we just persist in doing, because that's, that's a way of rejecting him. Instead, God, what, what does God do? He withholds His blessing and His favor from our lives when we have that kind of an attitude. And He'll allow us to feel more of the pain that is the natural outcome of our sin and our stupidity until we're willing to surrender to Him. But, but if we repent and allow the Holy Spirit to get our lives pointed in His direction, it's as if God says something like this to you. I will forgive you. But beyond that, my grace will go much further and I will redeem this hurtful thing in your life. I will make something good come out of it, out of this very bad thing that's happened to you. Notice again that verse 28 is conditional. Of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. My friend, if you have no intention... of of keeping that compass needle of your life pointed in Jesus' direction, don't claim this promise about God making everything work together for the good. By the same token, even if we repent and turn away from our sin or our stupidity, it doesn't mean that we escape every bad consequence that, that comes from them. You know, if, if I violate God's principles, there's going to be consequences, folks. You know, if I, if I jump out of a building, gravity doesn't stop working, does it? Um, I can, God can for, forgive me for my foolishness, but that doesn't mean I don't go splat. Okay? Sinful choices and, and stupid decisions have painful consequences. And, and while God will always forgive in response to sincere repentance, he may not remove every bad consequence. You know, I, boy, if there's ever an example of that, it's the Old Testament story about King David, a person that God himself described as a man after my own heart. And despite that awesome title, David committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, got her pregnant, then arranged to have her husband murdered. And he then married Bathsheba quickly in order to cover up his sin. Did David's sin have consequences? Oh, boy, did it ever. The child, Bathsheba, and David's child itself died. And from that day onward, there was constant turmoil and dissension in David's family and among his many children. It was as if God said, David, you destroyed one family. You're going to reap what you sow. And one of David's sons raped his half-sister, who was then killed by another half-brother. One of David's sons tried to kill his father and steal the throne of Israel from him. But did did God allow any good to come out of David's terrible sins? Yes. But only after David fully repented, renounced that sin, threw himself upon God's mercy and grace, David eventually got the compass of his life pointed in God's direction once again. And and later, the Bible tells us David and Bathsheba had another son. His name was Solomon. And uh, he succeeded David as king. He earned the reputation of being the wisest man that has ever lived. So so what, what does that story of David illustrate for you and me? Redemption, God's ability to redeem the worst if we give it to him. God has the ability to bring good out of the bad things that happen to us. Both, get this, both both the bad things that are the result of our own sin and stupidity, David, as well as the, the bad things that happen to us through no fault of our own. So why is God willing to redeem the bad stuff that happens to you and to me? Well, even more amazing, why is God willing to redeem even our sinful choices and our stupid mistakes when we repent and renounce them? You know, our scripture today actually reveals the answer because God has made this enormous investment in you and me. That investment is the life of his his one and only son, Jesus. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God God has simply invested too much in you and me to just let it go. Truly, if God is for us, who then can be against us? May the eighteenth, nineteen eighty. Who was alive then? Come on, now be honest. <laughs> okay, well maybe you maybe you remember this. That's uh, Mount St. Helens in. Um, Washington State, and it erupted. And it was, um, they said it was just a spectacular sight to see, it was also um, incredibly devastating. Get this, Mount St. Helens erupted for nine straight hours with the power of an Hiroshima atomic bomb every minute for nine hours. Can you imagine? And any and all life was, was devastated and destroyed for 200 square miles around Mount St. Helens. And um, scientists said, Nothing's going to grow here for the next 50 years. They were wrong. Within a year or two, flowers were poking their way up through the ash. Little, Little plants were beginning to grow. Trees were were starting to come up from the ash. Birds were were starting to to build nests. Wildlife was crisscrossing the the landscape again. Huh? Just after a year or two. You know what? That's a picture of redemption. Redemption that's what God can do. That's what God can do. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that before the eruption, Mount St. Helens was this beautiful picture postcard kind of spot. But now after the eruption, it's become... A beautiful place. It continues to be a beautiful place. Yes, the, the scars of the eruption are still there. You can still see them today. But it's a place where geologists and hikers and tourists come from all over the world to, to view the beauty that is Mount St. Helens. And in fact, some artists have taken the volcanic ash that was poured out of Mount St. Helens, and they've made these beautiful glass objects that now grace the homes of people all over the world? You know, there are literal volcanoes, Mount St. Helens, and then there's, there's the volcanoes that can go off in your life and my life. and i want to i want to just share with you again whether it's whether it's a volcano that you have created because you did something stupid or sinful or whether it's a volcano that happened i mean you you didn't earn it you didn't deserve it it just it just happened to you and you're trying to deal with the circumstances of it it, it doesn't matter god can redeem both god can redeem both he can change both and I just simply want to encourage you that if you you keep walking in God's direction, you keep going in the direction, the compass that he's given to you and me, you know what? The the, the will of God is going to restore you. And the will of God is going to release you. And the will of God is also... going to redeem you. Because that's the kind of God that we worship. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so very much today for your love and your grace and your goodness to us. And um, Lord, we've just been scratching the surface about this whole thing about you and your will. We don't presume, Lord, to understand everything about it. But we know you, we know that you're a good and a gracious God. We thank you that you predestined us, you called us, you justified us, you glorified us. You've got so much invested in us because you gave up your son Jesus on the cross. And um, so, Lord, we thank you that, that your, your love and your grace pursues us, chases after us. As we sang today, runs after us, your goodness to us. And Lord, may there just be that, that new and fresh awareness that if, if we will just walk and do life in your direction, we'll follow the compass. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen to us. They will. It's life, living on a sinful planet. But you can redeem anything and everything that happens to us if we'll just if we'll just give it to you and allow you to do your will in and through it. Thank you for being that kind of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: tuning into the carl road baptist church podcast we hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future you can always watch our past services or see them live on youtube facebook and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org that's carl with a k a r l roadbaptist.org if you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.